0: Welcome to the NBA Dynasty podcast. I'm your host, Matt Lawson. You can follow me on Twitter at NBA Dynasty ADP. You can find all of our wonderful free content over at FBI Basketball. Dot com. And if you want to put some wind in the sails of my independent fantasy content pirate ship, you can find all of my exclusive premium content over at patreon.com slash NBA dynasty ADP. Just yesterday, I added my pre lottery big board uh, that includes fantasy category projections, fantasy points league projections, and an advanced stats database for all the top press prospects in the 2023 NBA draft. And today we are talking about the 2023 NBA draft because we are laying in the wreckage of the 2023 NBA draft lottery. Hopes dashed for the Detroit Pistons who fell down to the number five selection. The hopes ascended for the Portland Trailblazers when they saw that they moved into the top four. And of course, the big prize of them all, the top pick, the number one overall selection and the right to select Victor Wembenyama goes to the San Antonio Spurs. And to discuss it all, to lay out the dynasty values and implications from all of it, is the one, the only Noah Rubin from the Take Me Later podcast, which I appeared on earlier this year, and along uh, as a team member of NBC Sports Edge. Noah, how are you doing?
1: Man, I'm excited. It was a fun night last night, getting to watch the lottery. I was one pick away from having Wemby in the Dynasty 30, but kind of like the Pistons, hopes are a little dashed at this point, but still excited to have the second pick there. And it's a great landing spot for Wemby and a number of other Top prospects excited to see where they end up.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I, I think that in many ways, this outcome was pretty chalk. Uh, This is about what the draft order, uh, as it was laid out, just based on inverse of finish and standings looked like. Um, And I think if you would have asked people what seemed like the outcome that fit NBA history uh, the closest before this season, they would have said, oh, well, the Spurs are going to get the generational big man and they're going to get Victor Weminyama. And after all of the angst and tanking that we had through the 2022-2023 NBA regular season, we just ended up with that outcome. Um, I obviously a hard, a hard night for the Detroit Pistons, my Detroit Pistons, uh, my childhood team, uh, did fall from number one to number five, but they had a similar outcome in last year's draft as well. Um, we'll get into all of that, but Noah, I guess first, I want to talk about this landing spot for Victor Weminyama. Uh, what does it mean for the San Antonio Spurs and what do you think it means for Victor's both short-term and long-term fantasy value? And for the Spurs, it's a blessing. I mean, they, Went from, like you said, David Robinson, Tim Duncan.
1: And it's been a few years since they were the Spurs that we know about. But they have this nice young core without a true superstar. And now they're adding one. And they're adding it. And he's being added to a team that has dealt with a lot of European players and a lot of players that they've been able to uh, mold into star talents. Um, And this is the third number one pick. Everybody else has become a multi-time All-Star it's a great landing spot for him, especially for fantasy. I can't think of a, a better landing spot uh, for a team that's going to take care of him, know what he needs, and how to develop him over the years. He may not see 32 minutes per game as a rookie. He may be kind of limited, uh, as we've seen what the Spurs do with load management. I think they kind of invented that. So we'll see. I imagine they take the cautious approach, but long term, it's the best landing spot.
0: Yeah, I, that was my immediate reaction, too, that I think for if you were looking for the maximum opportunity for Victor Weminyama as a fantasy player, him ending up in San Antonio is ideal, uh, both short term and long term, because this is a team that desperately needed uh, a lead uh, score. And they did not have that. I, I think that Devin Vassell and Kel, and obviously Keldon Johnson um, were stretched a little too thin trying to play that role this past year. And I think Victor is going to have all the shots that he can take um, early in his career and beyond. I think that he's going to grow into a number one NBA scoring option over time. And he's going to get to be that very early on in his career for the Spurs. Um, and, you know, just one thing that I looked at immediately, uh, having Wembenyama land there, was going to my dynasty rankings and saying, Wow, I think the Spurs might have legitimately um, had the worst, as far as dynasty asset, uh, roster. Um, at least the, the the latest number one player in my dynasty rankings for any of the 30 teams, uh, because you're talking about Devin Vassell usually is around the, you know, maybe 50s in the highest 60s uh, in a lot of dynasty rankings. He's the top guy and has been the top guy in dynasty rankings for the Spurs for me uh, for uh, a while now uh, since they had DeJounte Murray depart last offseason. So that's a huge, huge C shift for them, and obviously dynasty rankings aren't the same as overall real life player rankings. But this is a team that desperately needed Victor Wembanyama, and I think both offensively he's going to get to spread his wings, uh, but I think defensively as well, there's a lot of opportunity here uh, for a couple of reasons. The Spurs have at least the makings in the short term of two things that I think Wem really needed. He needed a traditional center uh, to play some minutes next to uh, because it's not going to be ideal. And we've seen his team talk about it, him talk about it, that they're not looking to put a bunch of weight on him and have him bang with NBA centers, especially early on his career, because they've seen historically players of his size, his height, who get up to a certain weight, begin to have foot issues, have lower body issues that limit their careers. They're trying to keep him lean and flexible, which I think is the correct approach. It's the same reason that I don't think that Chet Holmgren Adding a bunch of weight would be a good thing for his career. I think keeping these guys lighter and leaner, especially in the modern NBA where there is less post game, uh, less traditional big centers playing big minutes is the right approach. And on top of that, uh, for other minutes where you do actually have Victor playing at center, you have Jeremy Sohan there already. And I think Sohan is going to be an excellent combination with Weminyam in the long term because Sohan can uh, defend both up and down in the lineup. He has the lateral agility to be able to defend smaller players, but he also has the strength and the foundation to be able to defend larger players you know even defend some centers and i think he'll develop continue to develop that as he develops nba strength over time In that way, he's a perfect fit next to Victor and his limitation shooting also don't come into play as much because Victor is going to be able to bring spacing by himself. So I like this for everybody on the Spurs. I think it's a great fit for Victor. Um, And I think Zach Collins uh, will likely give those traditional five minutes next to Victor in the early going in this upcoming season. But I wouldn't be surprised at all if Sohan does start in some capacity um, or if Sohan is just playing a really big minute roll off the bench long term. I think he's going to be a starter with the Spurs. What do you think about all of that noah
1: yeah just first you know not adding too much weight both Wemby and holmgren i always love hearing or seeing people say yeah but he's too skinny there's no way he can stop Giannis going down the lane or joel and be in the post it's like yeah nobody can so who really cares that this 7-4 guy that can shoot step backs and still block a ton of shots can't take take it in the chest from Giannis? like Nobody can. So who really cares there? But for the fit alongside, you know, probably Zach Collins this year with Wemby at the four, maybe eventually kind of moving to Sohan at the four, Wemby at the five, kind of seeing how that plays out. It's kind of a good problem for the Spurs to have at this point. They have too much talent in their front court to really know who's going to be the clear-cut starter. I mean, we've already seen some projected starting lineups, some more interesting than others. Uh, but you know, whether it's Sohan coming off the bench or some other trade happening this summer to kind of clean up that log jam. I don't think they necessarily do that with how much talent they have, but kind of taking the next couple of seasons and seeing how the talent kind of pans out, you know, you have Wemby. I'd say the cell's pretty much going to be a starter there for a while. And then seeing, you know, how Sohan develops, how Keldon Johnson fits along some of these guys. What's the answer at point guard? What's the answer long-term at center slash power forward alongside Wemby. They have questions, that they still need to answer, but they have so much talent there to kind of pick and choose from along with future draft picks. I mean, they have, I think they made three first round picks last year and then they also have three future first and a pick swap from the Hawks, I believe as well. So future's bright, future's bright in San Antonio.
0: Yeah. I think the big thing coming out of this is that the Spurs have cap space. They have assets as you just laid out and there's going to be a lot of potential for movement on this roster because a big chunk of what, what was on last roster is, an, uh, is in unrestricted free agency and likely won't be brought back. So I would not doubt that the Spurs might accelerate here pretty quickly because when Benyama is going to lift their defense up almost immediately, we've seen the Spurs team overachieve under Pop, even in kind of the, the post-peak era, uh, whether it was when, when they brought in DeMar DeRozan or when DeJounte Murray was taking the reins, uh, they have overachieved in, in a number of circumstances as a result result of the overall philosophy that coach, is, that coach Pop has been able to put into place. And I wouldn't doubt that there's going to be some interest here uh, from free agents to come in and play on this team, come in and play for Pop, um, and they might move along quicker just because I think Wembenyama, if he's healthy, is going to ascend them at the very least just around the fringe of play-in contention, if not into play-in contention, with a roster that isn't super young, has a lot of guys who are young on the bench, but already has the developing wings uh, that are entering their prime in Vassell and and Keldon Johnson already has a competent, at least, you know, a bridge starting point guard in Trey Jones, who can hold down that role until they get someone who's uh, maybe a higher level starter at the point guard position. Um, And what they found in Collins last year, where he kind of finally hit his stride as an NBA center. I I think there's some nice pieces here for them to be a competent team next year. And they have the assets and the cap space to be able to make some moves in the offseason to expand out this rotation, deepen it, and put themselves in a position to be viable, uh, I think right out of the gate. Now, one of the other big developments, obviously, were that there were three other teams who ascended one lottery positions, the four lottery positions up for grabs. Two of those were not surprising. Uh, the Charlotte Hornets move up to number two um, and the Houston Rockets fell from what would have been number two, two odds coming in down to number four. The movement that was the surprise of the night, of course, was the Portland Trailblazers moving in. But before we get to that, I want to talk a little bit about Charlotte at number two, because I think this is obviously the first turning point of the draft. We know when is going to go to the Spurs at number one. They're not trading that pick. Uh, But when it comes to Charlotte, and we've already seen this in some of the mock drafts that have been put out there. The real question is, are they going to go with Scoot Henderson or are they going to go with Brandon Miller? Uh, I think there's probably going to be some consideration for a Thompson, but it's likely to be one of those two players. Uh, Noah, do you have any takeaways coming off of the lottery on who Charlotte might go with here? Yeah, I uh,
1: I think you know they have two options. Do they take the best player available to most people, Scoot Henderson, or do they take what might be the quote-unquote best fit with Brandon Miller? I think if Charlotte's actually thinking that they need to go for best fit, that – they're just – they're at, they're ridiculous because they're not good enough to be able to choose who's the best fit, in my opinion. They have LaMelo, and then they have some other guys. Like, they really don't have, you know, a completed core where you're like, okay, we plug in a potentially a star small forward and Brandon Miller and we're a playoff team. They have so many holes. They don't really have much of a direction outside of probably Mark Williams and LaMelo. I mean, they obviously have Terry Rozier potentially getting Miles Bridges back. I get – the case for, oh, we have a hole at small forward we go Brandon Miller. But I don't think that they're necessarily good enough to really take best player available here. They probably just, or they need to take best player available, not best fit. If they genuinely believe in Brandon Miller more than Scoot Henderson, fine. But I think Scoot Henderson's the better fit here. I think in the backcourt alongside LaMelo, it's really interesting, really dynamic. I don't think either player, either LaMelo or Scoot is like a a Trey Young or a Luca where they're going to have the ball in their hands like 80% of the time and everybody else has to figure out how to play off of them. I think both of those guys can play without the ball in their hands, maybe not super effectively, but they're not so ball dominant that this backcourt just couldn't work. I think either you make a trade or you take Scoot Henderson, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. This was one of those situations that we looked at before the lottery, along with Detroit, where we said, what is the team at number two going to do if they already have a lead initiator of their offense? If they already have someone who, you know, is going to be in their best role being on ball, how is that going to work? Are they going to take Scoot Henderson? Are they just going to add a, a wing in Brandon Miller that can fit and be scalable on most teams, but maybe just doesn't have the upside. Um, I think for Charlotte, this is actually uh, an even stronger fit than if Detroit were in this position uh, for Scoot Henderson. And the reason is that LaMelo Ball and Scoot Henderson are kind of diametrically opposed lead initiators. They do it in completely different ways. LaMelo has become an elite three-point shooter, uh, both from deep Uh, catch and shoot. He does it all from three. That even took a step forward this year where as far as three-point shooting volume, how many he was making, he was competing with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson at that level. And I don't think we've even seen the limits of what LaMelo Ball can be as a shooter. Uh, Obviously he is great in transition. He is an incredible playmaker, uh, a a truly gifted passer, uh, but LaMelo's deficiencies are some of Scoot's strengths. LaMelo does not have an in-between game. Uh, He doesn't have uh, a great mid-range game that he can pull up to. He doesn't have a lot of ability in his floater yet. It's developing. um, And he's not a particularly strong finisher. While he can get to the rim, uh, he does not finish strongly there. Uh, because there's an athleticism gap between him and someone like Scoot Henderson, who's an absolute nuclear athlete who dominates and can dunk on anyone at the rim, similar to a John Morant, similar to a Jaden Ivy, And Scoot is also extremely strong in his floater game and his mid-range game, feels comfortable in that area. And both of them are going to have the ability to be able to help each other in that way. I think if they can be on the same team, because LaMelo is going to have the ability to be able to catch and shoot, provide spacing for Scoot, to be able to keep lanes open because he draws so much attention as a shooter. Um, And also he's going to be able, LaMelo, to be able to hit Scoot as a cutter. Um, And I think that a lot of that athletic ability for Scoot combined with the passing vision of LaMelo, the shooting ability of LaMelo in combination could make for a really interesting Hornets offense. Um, I understand the defensive limitations, but most of those come from Lamelo. I think people, what they don't realize when they see that Scoot is 6'2", is that he has a 6'9 wingspan, that he's extremely thickly built and strong he is a competitive point of attack defender. He cares on that end of the ball. And I think that will actually be great to be able to have that next to LaMelo because it will force LaMelo to bring that competition level up defensively because Scoot is going to be doing it as well. And that's why I think it can work. I, I have mocked that in my last couple of mock drafts that I put out for Scoot to go to Charlotte. I think that's ultimately what the Hornets should do, but this is an organization that often takes safer choices, maybe uh, looks at college production, more strongly than other organizations under Michael Jordan and Mitch Kupchak. I would not be shocked to see them take Brandon Miller. I think they should take Scoot Henderson. And to those asking, with Scoot at number two, if he goes to Charlotte or if he goes to Portland, even with Damian Lillard there, for me, he is still the number two pick in Dynasty rookie drafts. You're taking Victor Wembanyama first, but the upside of Scoot Henderson in fantasy, whether it be in a categories or points format, he's the number two pick. And because there are limitations with Brandon Miller's fantasy game, um, a points and categories perspective that we'll get into. But I would still take Scoot at number two because long in the long term, this will work its way out. When the Cleveland Cavaliers took Darius Garland, when they still had Colin Sexton, it found a way to be able to work out. When the Dallas Maver- So I'm not concerned about the... Uh, about what is going to happen in the long term with Scoot Henderson wherever he lands because I believe in the talent. You draft the talent. Scoot at number two, regardless of outcome on draft night.
1: Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Like I said, Scoot is the number two player in this draft, in fantasy drafts. I think that this is a pick that the Hornets really can't mess up. I think LaMelo, what is it, going to be year four for him, I believe. So I think it's getting close where if the Hornets keep messing this thing up, not being able to field a competitive team it's not long before LaMelo is the next star to ask out which is kind of crazy to think with how young he still is but I mean we've already seen trade rumors for guys like Trey Young and Luka Doncic so it's a year or two away that if Charlotte can't figure it out LaMelo is going to be the next star to ask out.
0: That's right, and I, I get the idea that positionally Brandon Miller might seem like a better fit to be playing next to an established guard like Lamelo Ball. But the reality is that their strengths are actually similar in some ways, and I think offensively that actually could create a little bit more of a your turn, my turn than it would with Scoot, who has a very different offensive style. For Miller, he's more comfortable shooting from deep, like Lamelo. Um, his uh, his ability to be able to drive to the rim is developing at best. Uh, really struggled in the half court when it came to. Drive driving to the rim uh, and finishing at the rim this previous year. So both of them uh, might have that deficiency to some degree, at least early on in Miller's career. Um, I think it can work. There's no reason that just having a lot of great shooting in the lineup can't work, especially when it comes with strong positional size, like it does for ball and Miller. Uh, but I just don't think it's a reason that you have to make the selection because the fit is so strong uh, because while it works, I don't think it necessarily is that perfect fusion of offensive styles that you'd be looking for to maybe drop down, down below a more talented player. So as we have referenced a little bit earlier, one of the big developments on, dra- on draft lottery night was that Portland moved to the number three selection, moving up in the lottery order. Uh, and this creates a really interesting question because uh, if you heard uh, Josh Lloyd in recent weeks, uh, including on the podcast I was on with him His inside sources in Portland have said that if the pick is not number one, it's going. And while they moved up, it's not number one. And it raises a really interesting question because this will be a highly sought after asset on draft night. I think regardless of whether Charlotte goes with Brandon Miller or Scoot Henderson, there are going to be teams who are interested in moving up. Uh, but the question is, are there going to be teams who have the kind of uh, win-now veteran piece that Portland is looking for? Is that going to come in combination with Anthony Simons? Or is there good reason to be able to say that, if, for example, Brandon Miller falls to number three, that Portland just take him, uh, kind of have two timelines going with both Dame, Jeremy Grant, and also Sh- Shaden Sharp and Brandon Miller? What do you think Portland does here, Noah? What I think they will do and what I think
1: they should do are two very different things. I've already saw, I mean, you said Josh's inside sources. There also is just this morning. I think Bleacher Report updates saying that Portland fully intends to move away from this pick who they can get for that. I don't really know at this point depends on how other teams, you know, who asks out where, how teams value Brandon Miller or even Scoot Henderson if he falls. So how that looks is unclear. Uh, but Could definitely see Portland saying, okay, we drafted Damian Lillard. We believe he can lead us to a championship. We've done, you know, we've brought in guys to try and help that. Let's actually kind of fully go in with that. I think that there's like, if they don't believe in Damian Lillard's ability to win a championship, then why haven't they moved off of him already? So clearly they believe they can do it. And I get that and I respect that. But I don't think they can do it. I think that they should blow the whole thing up. Don't try and do two timelines. I don't think personally that that works. I think you have to commit to one side or the other, unless you just get incredibly fortunate. I mean, we saw the Warriors tried to have been trying to do the two timeline thing. And I know they just won a championship last year. So it's, but I think that's a pretty special case of a team that already won a championship. And a lot of these lottery guys, I mean, you've seen like Jonathan Kuminga's frustrations with not having a role. I mean, They've made three lottery picks, and so far they've traded James Wiseman and Moses Moody and Kumingar, just bench guys. So the two timeline thing doesn't necessarily work, in my opinion. I think Portland just needs to just give up, just go send Damian Lillard somewhere he can actually win a championship. Trade Jeremy Grant, trade Yusuf Nurkic, and just start over. You have Shaden Sharp, you have the number three pick, and if you kind of start now, I mean, you also have Anthony Simons who holds value whether you keep him or trade him, they are in position where they can actually have a nice rebuild and start it rather quickly, and it only takes three years maybe instead of a full-length rebuild or a decade-long, quote-unquote, rebuild that just fails over and over again. They're in a good position where they can do it. They just have to actually commit to it. But again, I don't I don't think that's what they do. I think that they trade number three, try and add more talent around Damian Lillard, and lose in the first or second round.
0: Yeah, I, my, my thought with this pick is that Portland is likely going to try to hunt for big fish. I think they're going to try to see if they can land a superstar piece to put next to Lillard uh, with the combination of the number three pick and Simons, whatever else is, isn't pinned down in Portland. Um, and if that does not happen, um, I think it's possible that they could stay and take Brandon Miller. It's, it, it's not like he couldn't help them in some way, even if they're trying to win immediately. Uh, but I think it's also possible that what there will be a lot of demand from some teams who maybe don't have the win now piece or so the superstar piece that Portland is looking for who want to move up and maybe that's the asset play for Portland here that they move back uh, with teams who have a bunch of assets if someone like Oklahoma City or Utah wants to open up the treasure trove of draft picks that they have and you know give all that to Portland so Portland could then later parlay that package of picks into a superstar player when they're available if if that's a better route for them to be able to get that extra star piece I could definitely see that happening Um, and there's not going to be a lack of suitors because i think there's a number of teams who likely wanted to be in the top three picks uh, so they could either secure scoot or brandon miller i think if charlotte does take uh brandon miller at number two and scoot falls to number three you could definitely see the orlando magic uh trying to move up i definitely could see utah trying to move up just because of these teams who lack maybe that star uh offensive engine at point guard might be interested in making that move uh, with some of the young pieces and trade uh, trade assets that they still have. So I, this is going to be a huge uh, interest, point of interest at, on draft night next month. I think that some of it might get resolved even before it. If, if Portland's willing to be able to pull the trigger earlier, if, if they can get a betting war going, uh, but I'm really looking forward to seeing it. And this kind of gets me to the point of uh, with Brandon Miller. I, I, I don't want to sound like I'm down on him because I think, especially as a fantasy prospect, uh, he's likely to be the number two or number three pick here that carries a lot of weight. Um, and, his fantasy potential is extremely high. He's a player that I like uh, just below Scoot Henderson, but above anyone else in this class beyond that. Vic and Scoot are number one and number two for me, but Brandon Miller is a clear number three. And the reason for that is despite his deficiencies and field goal percentage, which I think can improve over time, he's going to bring you strong points, elite three-pointers. He's a good rebounder, um, and he doesn't hurt you in defensive stats. He's solid in that regard. The assists aren't really there, uh, but he's a good free throw shooter as well. So there's there's kind of a package here of a player who is going to have a very high floor in fantasy especially categories because he's going to give you multi category uh, impact. He's going not really going to hurt you considerably in any area, a strong roto player, but also I think a good uh, uh, head-to-head categories player because of his contributions, which could be pretty elite in points and threes. So I like Miller a lot, I, and I think that there's going to be a really good opportunity for him, either in Portland or ideally for fantasy purposes, if someone trades into that slot and takes him, or if Charlotte takes him, where he could have a larger usage role. I think in Portland, it could be a little bit more limited. You might end up looking a little bit like he can, Murray did this past year, uh, where his fantasy impact is going to be muted out of the gate as the team pursues winning immediately. And more of that usage is being driven into Lillard, uh, Simon Sharp, whoever's there at shooting guard, and of course, Jeremy Grant, if he's brought back an unrestricted free agency. So Noah, the other interesting point of the night is that Houston uh, stays in the top four slots. They don't move up beyond that. They stay at number four. Uh, and this is another inflection point for a team that is trying to decide whether to accelerate forward on their timeline or to continue onward with the young assets that they have. Now, I mocked uh, men Thompson to them. That seems to be very popular across the mock draft community, that people think they're going to take a men Thompson, that he'll be their new point guard of the future. That obviously is going to limit uh, the fantasy value of Kevin Porter Jr., which we already feared. Uh, but it raises the question, are they going to try to still bring in James Harden, as has been rumored? Harden ha- is, intends to be a free agent, according to reports that came out today what do you think ends up happening in Houston or do you think that they stick with taking a men Thompson as many people are mocking to them or they trade this pick uh, to be able to make room for accelerating toward veteran players like James Harden and free agency with all the cap space they have if I were them I would stay put draft on men Thompson
1: and just continue to build with what they have and they do have the cap space as well that if they want to go out and still sign a James Harden or like a Fred Van Vliet, they can do that and just kind of work with the talent they have and figure things out. I think that's something that they have so many lottery picks at this point that they just need to kind of, they can't just abandon all hope for their rebuild. They can't just trade away number four for either like veteran pieces to bring in and try and win now. I mean, they should still focus on win now no more lottery appearances if it's up to them, but I think having amen Thompson and Jalen Green as kind of the future of the backcourt, but then even bringing in James Harden and slowly working Thompson in as the starting point guard. I think they have the options. I wouldn't be shocked if they do necess- Like kind of trade, say, hey, James Harden, if you want to come home, you can kind of have the ball whenever you want, shoot whenever you want. And here we'll bring in some winning players to kind of help you out. I think what they do over the next month will kind of be very telling as far as where Harden ends up because I mean, we already saw he intends to or already did opt out, become a free agent. Kind of, I think I saw the quote said, basketball freedom. So does that mean he returns to Houston? Does that mean? I mean, we saw a Phoenix Suns rumor, which I think is very interesting. Uh, it's something I wouldn't do if I were Phoenix, but they have options. I think that they just need to kind of weigh them, but also they just brought in a Udoka, as their head coach. And he immediately stressed defense, defense, defense from the opening press conference. And I think that if they want to stay in line with that when his kind of coaching philosophies, Amin Thompson's a great pick here and can immediately, if they don't bring in Harden or Van Van Bleet or someone else, he can start at point guard. And I think the the defensive potential with Thompson, Tari Eason, and Jabari Smith is It's very interesting. It's something I think that could actually work out for them in the long run.
0: Yeah, I think this is kind of the ideal situation for Houston if they weren't going to get the number one pick. If they weren't going to get the number two pick to be able to add Scoot, Uh, being in a position to take a man. Thompson is is kind of exactly what this team needs, not only because he can be a point guard um, and kind of that lead initiator of offense for them. Um, someone who I think can pair extremely well with Jalen Green because they're so hyper-athletic. I mean, these two getting out in transition is going to be incredible. They'll be moving at hyper-speed. Both of them can attack the rim, have a lot of bounce. Uh, I think it'll be a really exciting combination. But what's great about it is that Thompson also brings a lot of of point-of-attack defensive ability, and he's going to be a very strong NBA defender. He has all the tools for it, but he also has the competitive streak and drive to be a really strong defender. And he showed that at lower level throughout his entire basketball career. And I think he'll continue on to do that, especially with Ma Udoka, who values that kind of defensive intens- intensity and integrity uh, so much. And that's exactly what he's going to get. And a kid who's a, just a really good kid and hard worker and a man, Thompson, who I still think has one of the highest ceilings, maybe even below Wembenyama in this draft, because if he shoots, it's all there. Uh, there is NBA superstar potential with the men Thompson. I think that's too good to pass up if you're the Houston Rockets. I don't think they can trade away this pick. I think they'd be foolish to do it. Um, if they were planning in on bringing in James Harden, I think this needs to make them reconsider that plan. But regardless, uh, I think we're seeing in any scenario kind of the end of the road for top 100 value for Kevin Porter Jr. I think this is going to scale him back quite a bit. I think it's all wheels up for both Jalen Green and Jabari Smith Jr., regardless of what scenario plays out here. They're not a threat, and we didn't end up in a scenario where there's really a threat to Upper and Shane Goon, um, and his minutes and role in Houston because of the selection either. Uh, if anything, I think this could create a more competent offense and defense in Houston if they do take a men Thompson, uh, which is going to benefit all of the young players in Houston. Uh, the big question is, you know, wh- where's room going to come for Tari Eason? Are there is there going to be a consolidation trade with all the young talent here that they just don't really have room to play in Houston. Um, And as you said, this is just going to have to see how it plays out in their offseason over the coming weeks. Now, as we've referenced throughout the show so far, Detroit was the big loser of the night, moving down from number one odds all the way down to number five. This was the furthest they could fall. It was about a coin flip, around a 47% chance that they would fall to this selection. It was the most likely selection that they were going to end at. But obviously, it's disappointing for Detroit, which went through kind of a sad season of uh, having the worst record, not having Kate Cunningham all year. Um, And now they're kind of left with what is kind of a larger tier of players that's available uh, at least in the perception of most in the mock draft community that they could select at number five. Now in my mock draft, I had the Pistons taking Cam Whitmore at number five to be able to pair kind of a, a small forward next to Kate Cunningham and Jaden Ivy um i think that there's the possibility that they could take someone like jairus walker who's kind of a powered up version of isaiah stewart who we know troy weaver loves so much i think they could also consider assar thompson who would give them some of that athleticism on the wing uh and the defensive defensive ability on the wing to be able to defend uh, both uh, scoring wings and some smaller perimeter players that the Pistons just don't have right now. As Troy Weaver said in quotes this offseason, they've got Isaiah Livers uh, as a wing defensive player, and that's about it on this roster. So we know that's a priority for them in this offseason, and they might be able to get it in the draft. Uh, What's your takeaway of what Detroit might do here and how it would fit in on this roster?
1: Goodness, yeah. Wide range of options is correct. I mean, they have probably, I'd say, three players that are guaranteed starting jobs for the next Five years or so, and that's Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, and Jalen Duran. Bogdanovich is going to be very good next season, and however long he's in town, but he's he's an older player; he doesn't fit their timeline great. Um, yeah, wide range of options. I mean, if your best perimeter defender is Isaiah Livers, that's it's not exactly where you want to go with that. I think, yeah, Jarris Walker, Cam Whitmore. They could even go a guy like uh, Taylor Hendricks to try and have more shooting in there as well. It's really hard to say at this point exactly where they go because they have so many options. They could even trade up or down. I don't know if they necessarily do that, but who I'd probably if I had to pick, I'd probably go Jairus Walker just because I think I really liked his, his motor uh, when I was doing my scouting and kind of watching film, looking at stats. I think he kind of would bring an edge to that team that lacked a lot of defense. He's, guy that can switch onto guards as well i think just having someone that can go in there and just kind of play defense especially i mean if if a gm actually brings up isaiah livers as the team's best perimeter defender then they just they need to add defense plain and simple i think walker can at least help put a bandage on that for now
0: they obviously lack uh, the scoring on the wing that they need. They don't have the defensive ability either, but if they're going to be able to be able to put together a competent playoff bound team for the first time in forever, I think taking the swing on Cam Whitmore is mu- what makes sense. Uh, Troy Weaver was, was strongly rumored to be interested in pursuing an offer sheet for Miles Bridges last off before Bridges committed heinous acts of domestic violence last off And that went off the table. Um, And I see a lot of similarity on the court between Whitmore and Miles Bridges, um, kind of as this really big wing who is explosive, powerful, um, an incredible leaper, and also has the ability to be able to shoot from the outside and can be a, a pretty strong defender because of his strength and ability to be able to move laterally. So I, I think it's exactly what the Pistons need. I think they should come to that conclusion. I don't always understand where Troy Weaver is going to go. I thought he made the right choice last year in Jaden Ivey. I think that the Cam Whitmore sets up as a perfect selection here for them, uh, but we'll see what they do on draft night. Overall, for Dynasty Impact, if they do take Whitmore, if they do take Asar Thompson to be able to slot in at kind of the three, I don't think it really makes a devastating impact on any of the young prospects that we're looking for. That's that's kind of an area where you're going to get a lot of minutes from Bohan Bogdano who maybe is going to have to take a little bit of a backseat in his role to be able to allow developmental minutes for whoever is taken at number 5. Obviously, if they take Jairus Walker, that's going to be a big hit to Isaiah Stewart, who maybe can still slot in as a power forward in this upcoming season next to Jalen Duren, next to James Wiseman. Uh, But if they bring in Walker, it would seem like they were kind of drafting over Stewart in that role. So we'll see how it ends up working out. I I think that there's going to also be some discussion for Detroit to be able to trade off of this pick Because like with some of the teams that we just talked about a moment ago, there is a drive from ownership in the organization for them to start winning. And I think that if they don't think that the pick they're going to make here is going to assist in that, it is entirely possible that the Pistons look to be able to gain some long-term draft asset value or a a more win-now piece. Uh, with the number five pick if it's available, because again, this is a team that did not have the benefit of being able to sell off its veteran pieces for a trove of first round picks like some of these other rebuilding teams. By the end of the Pistons' last playoff run, which was a whimpering effort against the Milwaukee Bucks, Blake Griffin had completely destroyed his knees and had nothing left to the point that they needed to buy him out in the following season. There was nothing to be able to trade. They tried to trade Andre Drummond, got almost nothing for him from the Cleveland Cavaliers. uh, And they don't have anyone else's first round picks into the future. In fact, they actually have an obligation for one of their picks that's heavily protected into the future with the Houston Rockets. So there's a lot of uh, void here of assets in the future. They have these good young players, but if the organization wants to accelerate forward they don't really have the pieces to be able to do that unless they're going to sell off this number five pick or future picks. So we'll see how that ends up playing out in the coming weeks. Now, another team that held serve, uh, it, and this will be the case for everyone from six through 14, was the Orlando Magic. This is a difficult situation because it would have been easy for the Magic to be able to have slotted in Victor Wembanyama because he fits anywhere. Scoot Henderson, as good as Markel Fultz was, would have been the point guard of the future had he landed here. I think you could have even made an argument for a man Thompson to be kind of a higher upside version of Markel that could have slotted in, but he's unlikely to be available at number six for Orlando. And when you look at the options available, uh, this was a difficult one for me because what Orlando desperately needs is shooting. Brandon Miller would be a really good fit on this roster. What they have a bunch of are uh, supersized forward wing types, Paulo Boncaro, Franz Wagner. And they what they desperately need is someone to be able to create spacing for those big bodies to be able to drive downhill which they're very good at but the magic had some of the least spacing in the entire league last year uh no do you have any feelings uh gut reactions on what orlando might do here with some of the prospects that could be available
1: yeah i mean they already have like 10 lottery picks on the roster so why not add two more at 6 and 11 i mean i i definitely see this as a scenario where they could potentially package these picks to move up and try and just get more of a guaranteed talent as opposed to just adding two more lottery guys. I mean, they already have, let's see, Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs, and Markel Fultz as lottery talents kind of at guard, Franz Wagner, Paulo Banquero, Wendell Carter Jr. I'm sure I'm missing one or two along with that. So, you know, they, they don't necessarily have a clear, like, hole positionally. I mean, you mentioned shooting. They could definitely, I don't know, maybe a guy like Taylor Hendricks but they already have like Paolo Bancaro and Franz Wagner. So it's like, it's hard to exactly find a perfect fit here at that position. I think, like you mentioned, if they would have moved up into the top two or three, even Uh, so could Portland, like you talked about wanting to trade out earlier to get more assets. Could they trade six and 11 and one of those guards to try and move up to three and get Brandon Miller or scoot Henderson, if he falls or up to two, even if Portland or if uh, the, my goodness, the Hornets are looking to trade out of that as well to try and get some more talent. I think they have so many options because Chicago didn't move up and they got to have that second lottery pick. I think, yeah, shooting would be important to add, but they can get that at six or they can get it at 11 or they can get it at both. I think would you had your mock... Who'd you have in your muck them getting again
0: so so i had i had orlando at six taking a Sar thompson who obviously yeah. is you know around a 30 percent three-point shooter this past season that is not the ideal fit it is the fit for what orlando has been looking to add in recent years uh but i think it was sam vicini who put out there uh, the idea of taylor Hendricks, obviously hometown guy uh, playing at ucf um and you know it's interesting because they're just adding yet another guy who's around six ten. Um, with some perimeter ability in Hendricks. But he does bring strong shooting ability, brings defensive versatility, which I would think would help them out quite a bit. And one of the best stretches that the Magic had last year was actually where they had pushed down uh, their lineup so that Franz Wagner was essentially playing shooting guard. They were trotting out Paulo, and Bull Bull, and Mo Wagner, and it was just kind of like a supersized lineup uh, with Markel Fultz Fultz at point guard. And on paper, you'd say, well, this wouldn't work, but they were just so much bigger than everyone else, and still had enough skill on the court with some of those guys that it really did work. I think they went uh, eight and nine uh, during this stretch of time around late November into December. Um, and that's really when the season started to pick up after Fultz came back. And, and they regressed at points after that, but it, it really was proof of concept that maybe this supersized lineup is the path to the future for the Magic. And adding in Hendricks, bumping you know, Franz down to essentially shooting guard and having Hendricks and Paulo out there together with Wendell Carter Jr. and Markel Fultz at point guard, it it seems like a lineup that doesn't Work, but I think Hendricks' defensive versatility and shooting could make it work really well, and they would just be absolutely massive. So I, I can see Hendricks at number six. I think Asor Thompson kind of fits, you know, the athleticism, length, mold, you know, that they, the Magic have been drafting for for a long time. And if he does develop the shot, if they have confidence in that, um, his upside as a facilitator, uh, as a defensive player is huge, and I could see the benefit of that there. Uh, but there's a lot of options here, and I think one of the big ones is what you mentioned that they could combine number six and number 11 together to try to move up if they wanted to try to go get an amend thompson um maybe even if they thought that they could get up to brandon miller potentially uh that if they were combining something else on top of six and eleven it's difficult to move up into those top picks it very rarely happens but the magic do have some of the pieces to be able to make it happen Uh, and that's something i think we should be looking out for on draft night now the next team in the the lottery order, uh, the Indiana Pacers at number seven. Uh, for me and, and for a lot of mock drafts, this kind of comes down to a selection of two players. It might be taken away from them if the Magic did take one of these guys. But I think Jairus Walker and Taylor Hendricks slotting in in the front court next to Miles Turner just makes way too much sense. Um, I would like to be able to see either of these guys because they bring both, uh, defensive ability that the, the Pacers desperately need. And also they uh, are a fit offensively for a team that it really could just kind of has a vacuum, um, in this area of their lineup. Um, I I've waffled in between this so far. I, I think I had Jairus last night in my instant reaction um, thought about it a little bit more went with Hendricks because I think the offensive floor is a little bit higher with him because I believe in the shot a little bit more. And I think uh, being able to kind of put out five out lineups with Halliburton Matherin. Uh, whoever they put at the three. And then to be able to have Hendricks and Miles Turner out there who are also legitimate three point shooters is just going to open things wide for T- Tyrese Halliburton. I think it's going to make it extremely easy for him to be able to drive and kick, to be able to get to the basket. Um, I'm really excited about the future of this Pacers team, because I think this is going to be a foundational piece for them. Uh, despite the fact that they did not move up from the number seven slot. Noah, what do you, what do you think here? Do you think it's between these two options? Do you see any other choices that might be a good fit in, Indiana
1: I think after their power forward fiasco that was last season they definitely need to address that position especially with two talented players right here I think it is a decision between these two guys or whichever one's left I think if they have their choice I always lean towards more shooting and I think like you mentioned that five out lineup where it could be based on who they have right now Halliburton, Matherin, Buddy Heal, Hendricks and Miles Turner I think that's an an unstoppable offensive lineup at their peak uh, with the amount of shooting and just the playmaking from Halliburton, Uh, but also defensively, like you mentioned, I think both guys would fit in well here as far as just adding and just creating a really good defensive front court alongside miles Turner. I would lead Hendricks here, but I also really like Jairus Walker. So I don't think it's a bad fit. I think that he would probably fit better in in a different situation as opposed to Hendricks because of the shooting differences. Difference, differential, whatever you want to say there. Uh, so, yeah, Adeline Hendricks.
0: Yeah, I, I think there's good arguments for both. Obviously, Walker, I think the concern there is is he actually more of a kind of small, you know, bigger power forward, at least in weight, um, and, or and maybe a smaller center type, more of a big than he is a wing. And there's some wing skills. He obviously has some some handle for a guy his size. Um his shooting was better than I think some expected, at least from three, but there's some indicators with this free throw percentage that that might not be entirely real. I think that the concern for them and the reason that I would go with Hendricks is because If anything, Hendricks maybe can scale down and play in a bigger lineup, more as a three, obviously can fit as a four, um, with his size and the shooting just isn't the question mark. And, and for me, that's a lot safer, um, I think maybe there's some upside untapped in Jairus Walker that we didn't get to fully see last year. He showed a lot in high school uh, on ball that he didn't get to show at Houston because they were such a talented roster last year. So that's possible that maybe that there's just a belief that Jairus Walker can ascend into something greater than what we saw in college last year. And that's the reason that you take that upside over Taylor Hendricks, but I'm just super confident what Hendricks is going to be able to bring to the table and how well that's going to fit in Indiana, where I would want to make that selection. All right. Now that we're getting to the back end of the uh, draft here, I want to kind of talk about some of these in pairs because I think some of them have similar decisions to make. Uh, at number eight, we had the Washington Wizards, and at number nine, the Utah Jazz. Now, in my mock draft at number eight, I had Anthony Black going to the Wizards uh, for a lot of reasons. I think he's a really good fit uh, next to Bradley Beal because he can make up for some of the defensive deficiencies that Beal has. Black is a really, really strong both on-ball and help defense I think he's immediately going to contribute on that end in the NBA, uh, and that's exactly what the Wizards needs to be able to shore up, what is you know just kind of traditionally been a poor defense around Beal. On top of that, I think that there's a lot of upside for Black, kind of as a big uh, point guard, a uh, big facilitator that would fit in really well on a team that maybe needs to have their offense expanded a little bit by someone who can put people in the best position. But if they're really going to be able to make that next leap, I think they need to be able to hit on someone uh, with the upside to be able to kind of make everyone around them better. And that's exactly who Anthony Black is, a player that I absolutely love in this class. And at number nine of Wavered here, um, I love the idea of adding the shooting that Grady Dick would bring to the Utah Jazz. I, I think he'd be a really good fit uh, next to Lori Markinen. And, and you know they they would create a tremendous amount of spacing for whoever does end up being the perimeter offensive initiators that the Jazz eventually add to this core and really create a good foundation for the future. Uh, but I could also see the argument for someone like Casein Wallace, who has a lot of attributes and similarities to Marcus Smart, who we know that Danny Ainge absolutely loved drafted. Uh, um, uh, refused to trade at any point, believed in, and ultimately was proven right. Wins defensive player of the year ends up becoming a very good player on some very good Celtics teams. Ainge was proven correct on Marcus Smart, even though many people thought that he just didn't have that much upside as a player coming out of Oklahoma State. I think that Cason Wallace has a lot of similarities to someone like Smart, and I could see Ainge falling in love with adding that in the draft, especially given that there's so much in flux in the backcourt in the future for Utah. Uh, Noah, what do you think about those fits, and and is there anyone else who jumps out for you for these two teams? I
1: like the fits. I think if it were me at eight for Washington, I would go Case and Wallace there. I think their backcourt right now of Monte Morris and DeLon Wright, as much as I love Wright, I don't think that They have their point guard of the future, obviously, and I think Wallace is a guy, for some reason, that just watching him on film, I just really, really like the way he plays. I think he can play without the ball in his hands. He can knock down shots in the perimeter. He has a nice floater, and obviously the defense is there as well, similar to Anthony Black, and so Washington definitely needs some of that. I think addressing point guard is more of a need for them than addressing kind of a wing position and that's just why i lean case and wallace i think anthony black is a great fit as well but i think they've recently invested lottery picks on forwards such as Corey kispert denny abdia abdija um, even if they haven't panned out super super well so far i think it's kind of early for them to jump ship on that and plus johnny davis as well uh trying to get him more minutes i think case and Wallace fits in as a point guard of the future they've already done the kentucky point guard thing and i don't see a reason for them to not try it again. Um, and Anthony Black in Utah, I think, would be great as well. I think they have so much talent in their front court right now. Just addressing the back court in any way would be great. Uh, but also they have Colin Sexton there. And I, I would think that they haven't given up on that idea of him being their point guard yet. Uh, so I think, you know, potentially a, a healthy season with Colin Sexton at point guard to kind of, fi- kind of figure out whether that's what they want to do or not. I don't think he's necessarily a natural point guard, but like you mentioned with Anthony Black, he has so much upside, probably is one of, if not the best perimeter defenders in the draft immediately. Um, I mean, like you mentioned, Grady Dick's another guy that could go They could go with, uh, probably not uh, Jairus Walker or Taylor Hendricks, whoever falls. So maybe somebody else if something changes. But for now, I would say probably just those guys is who I'd be looking at here.
0: Yeah, I, I, this is actually really interesting how the board is going to fall here, and I think we've just seen the seen it in this exercise. Uh, depending on what the magic do at number six, it's going to kind of create a turning point in this draft. Assuming that the Pistons are taking uh, Cam Whitmore or Asar Thompson, that they go kind of wing here, which seems like the natural fit for what they need. Then you're looking toward the magic. And if they take Taylor Hendricks and then we have Indiana taking, you know, Jairus Walker, because that's what's left um, all of a sudden you have Asar Thompson potentially maybe falling past. I I guess it's possible that he could end up going to Washington or Utah they would be in play, and I think Anthony Black and Casein Wallace will be strong considerations there as well. If the Magic ended up taking a Nasar Thompson, uh, then you maybe you see uh, the uh, Pacers selecting between Taylor Hendricks and Jerris Walker. And then I, I agree that I don't think that Utah or Washington are likely to take a power forward. So it's it, there's a decent chance that Hendricks or Walker fall past those two slots because Kyle Kuzma, who has a player option, but it sounds like he might be brought back in Washington, and Laurie Markkinen at power forward in Utah – likely not going to be drafting there. It's possible they could, but I I think that they might steer away from that. And that creates the scenario that I've been looking at in my mock draft, where at number 10, the Dallas Mavericks, who held on to their pick because it didn't fall to 11 or below, they didn't have to send it to the New York Knicks. They're in a position here where they might end up with Jaris Walker, where they might end up with Taylor Hendricks, depending on who doesn't go there. Um, and I could see that being a really good fit in this roster. The problem is do the Mavericks, like some of the other teams that we've talked about, want to just accelerate things, want to try to get a win-now piece to be able to put with Kyrie and Luka and get back into the playoffs this upcoming year? My position is that if they're going to have Kyrie likely on a big contract, Luka's no longer on his rookie contract. He's on his rookie max they're going to be in a position where they need rookie-scale players to be able to fill out this roster. They're going to need cheaper pieces to be able to fill in this roster. Having a guy for four years under cost control, a second contract, that is at least limited in some ways as a second contract. That's what the Mavericks need, and they need to hit on it maybe there's going to be an opportunity to trade this for something meaningful that's worthwhile at number 10. But my guess is that the best move for the long term for the Mavericks is going to be to be able to take a player here because I still like a lot of the players as future NBA starters at this point at number 10. After this after this I find that it gets a little bit more questionable. But I hear I feel like there's going to be a good player that's going to be able to help them, whether it's Hendricks, Walker, Grady Dick Cason Wallace, Anthony Black. I can see all of those players being good additions to the uh, Dallas Mavericks. And then on top of that, we have Orlando coming back with their second pick at number 11 here. This is where I think Grady Dick's floor is. He can, He's not going to fall past this pick because he would be a perfect addition as a movement shooter with size to be able to add into this lineup, to give Paulo Banquero and Franz Wagner the spacing that they desperately need to be able to get downhill I would love this pick. I think uh, unless Dick goes earlier than this, this is going to be the selection at number 11. A lot of mock drafts have it the same way. So Noah threw a lot out there, but what do you think Dallas is likely to do here? And uh, wh- what do you see the options for Orlando if Grady Dick doesn't fall to this pick?
1: Yeah. you already seen the rumors that Dallas is interested in moving off of this pick. I don't think that, you know, Kyrie and Luke are necessarily interested in adding in another rookie. They probably want guys that are established and have already won to try and help them get back to the playoffs and actually make some noise, assuming Kyrie Irving's back, of course, because things could change. So I I think that if it's up to them, they're probably not making this pick. But like you said, if it's a guy like Jairus Walker or Taylor Hendricks, I think that's a, a day one difference maker, even as a rookie. And it's like you mentioned contract not that expensive so they'd be able to still make more moves and try and field more of a competitive team to try and get back to the postseason i think that there's probably some other guys like say both of the power forwards are gone maybe grady dick helps but it's if they trade that are they able to get a better player in i think it just kind of depends at that point i don't think that they go case and wallace as much as as good as he is, they already have Kyrie and Luka. I don't think that they spend a lottery pick on Casey Wallace, Anthony black could come in and be a great defender from day one. I think that would help a lot as well. So like you said, there's guys that can, as rookies come in and make a difference from day one, maybe not all of them. And I think it just kind of depends on what they're able to get for the 10th pick. Cause if a guy like a Jairus Walker, Taylor Hendricks falls to 10, do they get a better offer because teams are interested in that? So I think it's, it's probably something we don't know until they're on the clock on draft day exactly where they go with this, but they, they're going to have plenty of options. And then Orlando, again, just adding in another lottery pick, depending on where they go at six, whether it's uh, Thompson or Taylor Hendricks or some somebody else that if Cam Whitmore falls or something, whatever happens there, I think that they just probably just go a different position. But like I said earlier, there's not a glaring hole at a specific position where it's like, okay, he this guy would fit in perfectly and just answer a question. Cause they already have a player at every position. I think it's more stylistic things like probably adding more shooting. So Grady Dick, like you mentioned would fit great there. A uh, guy like Taylor Hendricks, if I, I doubt he falls to 11, but somebody like that, they'll have so many options come draft day.
0: Yeah, so I, I think this, for me, in both the real draft and in fantasy drafts, depending on how things play out, it is a little bit of a teardrop uh, once we get to the 11th pick. Because this takes us through the, you know, Victor Weminyama, Scoot Henderson, Brandon Miller, Amen Thompson, Cam Whitmore, Asar Thompson, Taylor Hendricks, Anthony Black, Kason Wallace, Jairus Walker, Grady Dick. And any of those guys could go in some combination for those first 11 picks. I think they likely will be the first 11 picks. And after that, at least in our current perception of the draft, where it seems like values lie, it becomes wide open as we transition over to the next group of three lottery teams. That's OKC at number 12, Toronto at number 13, and the New Orleans Pelicans at number 14. And trying to mock these was challenging because it really felt like they could go in any direction for maybe a dozen different players um, in this draft class. Uh, I, think, I think I have OKC uh, taking Leonard Miller in the mock draft that I put out earlier today. Um, and that could absolutely be someone that they're interested in. He fits a lot of what they're looking for in OKC in character, also size uh, with skill. And I can see him being a really good fit of power forward next to Chad, Hol- Chad Holmgren. Uh, but in addition to that, it's possible they could take someone like Derek Lively. Uh, to be able to have a traditional center to put out there um, in more limited minutes. It, it's entirely possible that if Case and Wallace somehow fell to, fell to them, that they'd want to be able to take him you know, to potentially be an upgrade over what they already have in Luke and Stort. I think that the same goes for Toronto, who desperately needs some on-ball creation, some shooting ability. mock them Keontae George, not a prospect that I particularly love. But I could see the fit and willing to take the swing there. They could also be interested in someone like Kobe Bufkin, who can be both an on ball and off ball guard, um, who, who also is a strong defender. And I could think could give them a lot of what they might be losing in Fred Van Vliet if Van Vliet chooses to opt out and head to free agency to another team. Um, and then for New Orleans, it's a really challenging question because this is a roster that's already loaded with a bunch of former lottery picks, a bunch of veterans. They didn't even have room to play Dyson Daniels next year. It seems like they need to make a trade. It seems like they need to consolidate to some degree. Maybe they're going to move this pick. I think there's a lot of optionality there. Uh, But it's hard to be able to find perfect fits. And I think it's going to be very team specific um, at the end of this lottery. Are there any NOAA prospects that you really like from this class that we haven't talked about before? Guys you think might sneak into the lottery? Uh, Anybody that you have your eye on to see how high their uh, stock can rise before draft night?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a couple guys. I think that kind of mock drafts have fluctuated throughout the season. I think if you would have looked earlier, you would have had Nick Smith Jr. and uh, Derek Whitehead or Derek Whitehead, uh, Gigi Jackson. Like those are guys that would have been going around here. And I think they've all kind of slipped uh, two of them because of injuries. And then Gigi Jackson, just because of an interesting season in the sec for South Carolina. I still think that, you know, those guys probably have a lot of upside, uh, but they probably slipped a little bit at this point. I don't necessarily think that they go into the lottery. Another guy I really like, I don't know, let's see, if he fits in great, maybe in Toronto, uh, Jalen hood Shafino. Just watching his film, I just really liked his style of play. I think he adds in a lot of options. I think he's like a, a bigger point guard. Um, if Fred VanVleet ends up leaving Toronto, I think he's a guy, maybe not come in and just fill that void, but he's a guy that would be able to, play a little bit of point guard. I really liked I was gonna mention Derek Lively at twelve to OKC. I think some mocks have, have him going later in the first, probably in the twenties, but I think that's a, a very natural fit there. And it would be an elite landing spot for fantasy. Cause I mean they've been starting uh Jay Will, Jalen Williams, who's like six nine, and Jeremiah Robinson Earl who's like six eight. Like they just have small, small lineups. So Derek Lively coming in for even twenty minutes per game or eighteen minutes per game as a rookie, that would be a an- excellent excellent fantasy landing spot for him to average a block and a half a game just in his rookie season so that's kind of what i got for uh the end of the lottery at this point i mean you also i mentioned jet howard i don't really know what he does um depending on the landing spot other than hit threes i think that's pretty much a given but how else does he fit in what team gets him who's he playing behind does he have a chance to get minutes i think that's kind of what we're looking at here at this point late lottery kind of also the teams right after in the teens who can get minutes where as far as where fantasy value would lie and what teams are looking for but like you said but six and eleven is kind of a a separate range from what's happening after
0: so i'm going to finish this out now that we have gone through the lottery uh, order talked about some of the changes in value that could come from the lottery selections there. I want to talk about some of this uh, rookie fantasy sleepers uh, that I'm seeing based on my evaluation in the big board that I've put together that you can find both on my Twitter page to be able to see uh, what my selections one through 60 are. But additionally, if you go to patreon.com slash NBA Dynasty ADP, uh, you'll find my Patreon page where I have my full premium big board, uh, which has fantasy category projections for nine cat has fantasy. See points projections based on each player's performance this past season and has it an advanced stats database that'll really let you dig in on these prospects and understand where they excel, where they struggle. And doing that process was really enlightening because it brought some players to the table that maybe I didn't have as high of a perception on in real life who I'm realizing might have much stronger fantasy games than we realized. Um, we've talked about a lot of the guys that everybody knows uh, during this lottery discussion, but uh, some of the players who are going to go in the second half of the first round most likely, maybe even to the second round that I really liked is where I want to focus on here. Uh, right off of the top, someone that I moved way up in my big board after I dug into the stats uh, is Bryce Sensibaugh. In some ways, this is kind of an a alternate version of Tari Eason because Sensabaugh, like Eason, was this like big wing who was coming off of the bench and just getting to wreak havoc for Ohio State the same way that Eason did for LSU the year prior? Uh, but s- s- unlike Eason, the 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 strength of the fantasy stats that is not in steals and defensive stats, uh, it comes from sense of shooting. Uh, he's going to be a guy who can score immediately in the NBA at all three levels. Um, really strong three-point shooter, and he's going to give you that spacing element. And on top of that, a really strong rebounder, free throw shooter. And his contributions and assists and blocks are at least neutral. They're not really going to hurt you. Really, the only area where he was a little bit deficient is steal rate. And I think that's something where you can see players fluctuate in their careers as they develop as help defenders, as they do, the game slows down for them a little bit. That's definitely an area where sensible isn't yet. Uh, but there's the pieces here of a guy who plays above his weight in fantasy production, who even in lesser minutes is going to have that per minute fantasy production that's going to make him really interesting. So he's a guy who flashed for me. Um, another guy is Bilal Koulibaly uh, out of Mets 92, Victor Weminyama's teammate. He moved up from kind of their junior team up onto the big team this year um, and continued to be able to flash a really impressive stat set. Uh, it was strong field goal percentage because he finishes from two because of his athleticism and size. And on top of that, he had a, one of the best steal rates in this entire draft class, which really makes him intriguing to me uh, because in three-pointers, rebounds, assists, blocks, he at least showed a competent level of production. So while I was expecting a guy to be really raw, maybe have an uneven stat set, Koulibaly looks like someone who, other than his free-throw percent, isn't really going to hurt you anywhere. Um, And he's a guy who's being mocked in some places at the end of the first round. I think because the NBA is so desperate for wings, you could easily see him moving up into the early 20s, maybe even to the teens. Who knows? Maybe if Oklahoma City, you know, Sam Presti is so daring, he doesn't really care what anybody thinks and everyone loves everything that he does. Maybe even Oklahoma City is willing to take him because they can never have enough players with size and skill. So I like Koulibaly. I think he could be a fantasy sleeper, regardless of where he's selected in the draft. Someone that you might take above their real-life NBA draft slot in a rookie draft um we've already talked uh i've talked a little bit about leonard miller and kobe bufkin those are both guys that i liked but they could sneak into the lottery same for Derek lively another one who's fantasy game that i like who could get drafted that high uh but when you're pushing back a little bit further guys that i like who could go in the late first round for fantasy um who have some nice rounded stat sets max lewis colby jones Chris Murray and Jaime Jaquez. And I get it. Some of these guys are a little bit early, early older. Murray's going to be 23 heading into this upcoming season. Like his brother, Keegan um, Jaime Jaquez is already 22. Uh, these might not be the kinds of players that you would normally say scream upside, but once we're getting into the later stages of a rookie draft, once we're getting into the later stages of the NBA draft, it's more about just trying to get hits. And I'm looking for fantasy stat sets with potential guys who can outpace their minutes, and give you value even in more limited minutes, which usually ends up leading to more minutes in the real life, even if it's you know helping us in fantasy in lesser minutes in the short term. Um, if you're going even deeper, and, and these are guys who are projected right now to be second-round picks, if you're in a deeper league, guys have to be able to put on a watch list and see if they move up on draft night. Brandon Pajemski, out of Santa Clara, uh, kind of took over the reins uh, at Santa Clara for Jalen Williams this past year after transferring from Illinois. He was a high-level prospect going into Illinois. Actually comes from the same hometown as Tyler Hero, I believe. Um, He's a really interesting prospect for fantasy. Uh, And there are some warts. I don't know if he's going to be able to defend at an NBA level. Uh, I don't know if his game is going to translate as well to NBA size and speed. But if you're looking at the stats side, he's someone who brought strong contributions in points rebounds, and steals last year without really taking much of anything off of the table. Um, I, I think that he's someone that you want to be able to see what landing spot he ends up in, how high he's taken, what level of investment there is in Pajemski. But if there are minutes, there's real potential for him to be kind of a fantasy monster. And that's the same for Kobe Brown out of Missouri, um, who is uh, listed at 6'7", 240, kind of a bowling ball Um, even bigger version in some ways of a David Roddy, maybe not as thick, but a little bit taller. Um, And Brown kind of showed it all at Missouri this past year. He could shoot from outside. He was getting steals. He's a big time rebounder, uh, scored efficiently from the field. And the fantasy numbers are huge. I don't know if he's going to be someone who's even going to get a guaranteed contract, might be a two-way player, but it's definitely someone to keep an eye on as we move into the NBA draft in the next month. Noah, Thank you for being here with me today. Um, I wanna make sure that everybody knows that they need to go check out Noah's podcast. If you enjoy listening to me, if you enjoy Dynasty content, absolutely make sure to check out the tank me later podcast you can find it anywhere you get podcasts make sure to su- subscribe to Noah's YouTube channel um, so you can be able to get notifications for new episodes of his podcast he's doing incredible work and make sure to check out Noah's work at NBC Sports Edge as well Noah anything else that you want to promote anything else that you have coming up um, in this off season
1: now Matt you basically hit on everything uh, I have the Substack as well doing about three columns per week, just kind of breaking down teams right now. Just, just no ruben.substack.com uh, podcasts. I believe I have another episode coming out Friday, and then the following Friday, I have Josh Lloyd joining me. And then after that, not really anything planned, but definitely more fun guests coming as we get close to the draft. I'm sure we'll be doing some rookie mock drafts on there as well, or on your show. Just kind of plenty of mocks coming up. So fun time for Dynasty. Uh, fun time for content
0: it is it's the most exciting time of year uh, for me in the nba i love the off season i love it for fantasy i love it for dynasty but i just love to be able to see how these teams are going to be reshaped and remade we're going to see a huge chunks of the nba switching teams it's going to change our perception of those teams the players on them um, it's a great time Uh, If you have made it all the way to the end, thank you. I appreciate you uh, tuning in, whether you're watching on YouTube, listening on the podcast platform of your choice. Make sure that you follow, subscribe, like, comment, review. All of it helps to be able to help get the show uh, to be able to increase its audience and helps me to be able to justify spending the time to be able to put this out there. And I want to keep doing it for all of you. Um, You can follow Noah at NoahRubin22. Uh, You can follow me at NBADynastyADP. And again, if you want to be able to find our free content, it's at fbibasketball.com and all of my premium content, including my new 2023 NBA draft big board with all of my draft sleepers, my fantasy projections, you can find it patreon.com slash NBA dynasty ADP. Noah, thank you again. Looking forward to having you back another time. And I can't wait to see where things end up with this NBA draft. We'll see you all next time.